bank in the middle of Beverly Hills and somebody else's name. So if you're going to California, don't matter at all what you're planning for. California is a brand new game. There we go. We're all here. It's Kamala, folks. Who cares? Boring as possible choice. That was why it was the most likely. No, The one good thing about it is now you don't have to talk about it because what's to talk about? Z, 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 snooze. Don't care. Don't care. To quote Jay Cutler, don't care. Once again, this is a YP, not an MP. Like I said, there'd be something, if they wanted to make it interesting, they would have picked somebody who was not already turned over and slapped around and spit out by the, by the primary process, which found her to be so thunderingly uninteresting that she didn't make it to a fucking Iowa because she didn't want to get shelled in, uh, in California, where she was in fourth place. Amazing. Well, don't have to talk about that anymore. Thank God. In fact, instead, I'd like to talk a little about something called the Iraq War that a few of you might remember. Some of you probably don't even remember it, or at least the beginning of it. But us old heads remember. And uh, I've, of course, been listening to Blowback, by the trader Brendan and Noah Colwin, uh, the podcast about the Iraq War, and it's been great. Going back and remembering all our old favorites from the Bush uh, White House, all the lovable oafs who failed to stand against them. They actually reminded me of something that I had forgotten, or I guess my brain had rearranged. Uh, I had always remembered the incredibly douche-chill moment of the 2004 Democratic National Convention when John Kerry came out and saluted the audience and said, John Kerry reporting for duty. And I, by listening to the show where they played that clip again, I realized I'd remember that wrong and that he actually says, my name's John Kerry and I'm reporting for duty. And that's so much worse. Like, uh, more words just... He sounds like a fucking nerd, or like he's at AA or something. Anyway, watch it, uh, listening to Volback has made me been thinking about the Iraq War and how, even after all these years, I don't think that there's a coherent, fully agreed-upon theory on any part of the mainstream, uh, or even on the left, really, about why the hell that war happened. Like, what, what was... Because it was such a clear case of... Of, uh, of a choice, a war of choice, right? Like, talk about how the presidency is much more constrained than we think of it as, and that the choices presidents get to make are, for a very, are through a very narrow aperture, uh, because so many choices have been taken off the table by the reality that they're ma- merely managing a global uh, empire, essentially, uh, and that the, the inputs of that system are what determine most of the things that are theoretically, and in our minds, 
imagined to be part of the remit of a president, but in reality are out of their hands. So they end up doing kind of what the consensus is best interest for monopoly capital or would-be monopoly capital. But there is so much that seemed dicey and unnecessary about the war in Iraq that it really makes you scratch your head because obviously it wasn't for any of the reasons they claimed. I mean, duh. Uh, But also, even the vulgar leftist material critique that it was about oil doesn't really make sense. If we really wanted the oil, if it was the oil we wanted... Uh, we could have made a deal with Saddam. I mean, my God, the one thing we knew about Saddam is that he was somebody we could make a deal with. And honestly, I had wished during the war, it wouldn't have made a difference, but if, I wished during the run-up to the war, more people had pointed out, you know how I know that none of this is a big deal and that you guys are making something up and that I don't even have to argue about whether or not there were aluminum tubes or if there's uh, whatever the fuck, whatever bullshit Colin Powell is talking about. Col- uh, the reason I know that I don't have to worry about Saddam Hussein trying to destroy my way of life with uh, chemical or nuclear weapons is because he lives in a big gold mansion and he has a bunch of and he has kids who drive around in Ferraris. He likes being alive, and there's no way he could realistically wield any of the powers that we were uh, we were claiming he was seeking in a way that wouldn't have destroyed him. And we know he was a guy we could make deals with because we'd made deals with him for most of his career. We handed him a list of communists to execute in the seventies, and we uh, we helped him fight Iraq. We basically gave him the idea to inv- that if he invaded Kuwait, we wouldn't do anything about it. We set him up so that we could have a good PR victory. And then we just decided to keep him as this punching bag. But he could have been brought back into the tent. And the oil is fungible anyway. Uh, oil is something that, that is sold on an open market. You can't really claim it the way that people like Trump, for example, think you can, where we go and we get the oil. Why didn't we get the oil? We bombed the oil, and then we get the oil. Like, you could take it out of the country or something. And then even then, who is selling it? To whom? It's all, that's like, that's what baby brains think, that oil, oil politics work. So if you just, if you want to get oil in, like, if you want to get access to Iraqi oil, even profit, if not, you know, the profits of uh, private companies, because... They did not end up taking over the Iraqi oil. Iraqi oil is still controlled by the Iraqi government. I mean, there's concessions to be had there, but they did not. it was not a bonanza for private oil companies the way they claimed to us. But there's still money to be made as, being, as moving it across the country and, 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 and facilitating the, the, the trade. So there was deals to be made with Saddam, even if you wanted the oil. And I think the real only, only way to answer the question about... Uh, about why we went into Iraq and why that specific group of people, the neocons who got in there around Bush, pushed that agenda uh, so specifically in the face of the majority of like the, the institutional uh, uh, bureaucratic knowledge base inside the government and the military and, and uh, the State Department and stuff. They were, doing, they were doing a radical break, and you can wonder, well, why the hell... Did they go to Iraq? Of all the things they could have done, why did they go to Iraq? And I think it, it boils down to the fact that the U.S. was seeking, subconsciously and consciously, at the level of policy, and the aftermath of the Iraq of the uh, end of the Cold War, a new, uh, a new ideological structure to justify the maintenance of the military Keynesian economy. Uh, the, the, the 
one of the big generators of capital accumulation in the United States after World War II was a massive uh, investment in defense. Uh, the military-industrial complex, as Eisenhower warned us about. Like, there's ways that you can, uh, you know, operate a Keynesian economy. Uh, the British, as they offloaded their empire to us, and no longer had this justification of wielding military power throughout the world, their Keynesian post-war era was uh, building the things like the NHS and public housing. Like Public housing is vastly, vastly, vastly more common in the UK than it is here because there was much, much more direct state housing built in that post-war period. We made bombs. We made bombs, we made tanks. And the thing about those things is they got to get used. And the and and the uh, and obviously there was a strategic and tactical reason during the Cold War to maintain that kind of uh, thing, and that was accepted within the public. Like that was a reason that held ideological sway. After the Cold War, the U.S. is not going to abandon military Keynesianism. It's not going to abandon its military posture, its first in the world position, because that would mean ending reducing America's power from being the unipolar power in this new arrangement to being part of a multipolar world. A mutual drawdown among everybody and a redistribution of power horizontally across nations. With a, with a, and, and part of that would be a significant reduction in American military. And that is something that is theoretically possible that could have been done, in my opinion, uh, but would have required political will to do so that was antithetical to the powers that be the powers that were, rather, and continue to be in the United States in terms of its, uh, its uh, ruling class structure and the bureaucratic uh, uh, conventional wisdom uh, that just became like sedimentary layered within institutions like the media and the state bureaucracy. And so the 90s were this frantic uh, uh, Search for a modus vivendi here, a reason. How can we re- reestablish America's hegemonic military position in the absence of a enemy and with people clamoring for more spending at home on, hey, you know how we like never really got a welfare state because instead we built this world-spanning military power? Now we don't need the world-spanning military power. Maybe we can go ahead and build that social democracy now. But of course, as it was understood at the top levels of power, to, to give up the military position would be to give up Amer- America's dominant posture in the world uh, economic order, which would, in their mind, inevitably lead to America becoming weaker, less powerful, and, and economically bereft. Uh, now, of course, the economical bereft thing is a joke because our position in the world economy has intentionally left our economy fucking entirely hollowed out and replaced with this... Uh, this hodgepodge of uh, gig economy, service industry jobs, uh, and, and everything predicated on massive spending through credit. So it's not like that is working out too great for the average American now, but of course, at the top level of planning, it is considered uh, uh, better than a, a multipolar world where maybe we have to give up creature comforts, but also maybe we take all that social democratic stuff seriously in the absence of this fake conflict. Uh, and, and that like redirection of, of resources and uh, control of, of, of society and the workplace downward, maybe that reinvigorates a civic culture that, uh, that can accommodate 
not being the prominent dog, the, the number one dog in the pack, being part of a molar, multipolar world that sees, that, that sees a mutual drawdown. But none of these things are possible because they would eliminate this ruling class. So, of course, that's not going to happen. That's not on the agenda, and nobody who would want it is anywhere near the levers of power. Instead, you have a bunch of guys who need a new justification for a military uh, economy. And also, at the same time, a need to establish a new military order in the world where the U.S. military maintains its position as the, as the, primary, as, uh, the primary force of global uh, law enforcement, essentially. I mean, world police is exactly what we are. I mean, that's, we're the world police of the global economic marketplace. That's what, we're, we're the mall cops. That's the job. And without the Soviets and with, you know, uh, competition from China and stuff, uh, and Russia turning away from our orbit after Yeltsin gave way to Putin, uh, there's a real need to uh, reestablish America's military dominance. And if that's the question, it's just a question waiting for, it's, an ans- it's a question that now is, is waiting for an answer in the form of how is, what's that going to take? And then 9-11 happened. And I think one of the most one of the reasons I think a lot of people instinctively believe that there's a intuitive truth to birth or, or to uh, um, to trutherism is just how much 9/11 was able to reorder the American political scheme in such a way to essentially give them carte blanche to create this new structure. So I don't know. Agnostic on I'm agnostic I, I I don't really think it was it was Bush but I don't know I mean it's certainly in my opinion wildly plausible that uh, intelligence about 9/11 and the planning of 9/11 was intentionally ignored because hey if this happens it's not like it's going to be bad for us uh, that's possible but once again I I don't really try to look too much into that madness rune because I know that that way lies insanity. But anyway, one way or another, they get this thing fall into their lap or they bring it to their lap. Either way, it creates a new structure where America now instinctively has re-embraced its martial virtues because now there's a new global war to be fought. And of course, we've talked about it. If we really wanted to prevent another 9-11 and reduce uh, the threat of terrorism, we would have treated it like a law enforcement activity. We would have negotiated with the Taliban for the overthrow of bin Laden, which they were willing to do, they were absolutely willing to do it. We, we, essentially, told, we essentially turned down uh, any, any serious offer from the Taliban because we needed to make something go boom. Because when something that horrifying happens and that, and that destructive to the social fabric and people's understanding of what could happen in the country they lived in, because Americans were the most cosseted baby country on earth, were... were that kind of thing essentially never happened on the mainland. And so it was literally inconceivable for people. And they needed a way to understand that. And so if that anger and that confusion and that pressure, if it didn't go out, it was going to go up. And so they had to do a military response. Anyone would have. Uh, Gore would have also turned down the Taliban and gone to war in Afghanistan. Even though that was not going to be the thing that reduced terrorism. Getting them handed over... Uh, safely and then prosecuted 
and then just bump up like maybe you put some locks on the air, the cockpit doors and stuff, you're fucking basically going to be fine. Uh, instead, we did what we did, and it was because because a war, a global war with no end time, is essentially the ideal state to to govern your military and economic logic around. I think it's interesting that uh, that the GOP voters who for whom nine, uh, the, the Iraq war was the signal issue. Like, I remember the 2004 election and the 2006 primaries were almost impossibly unique. And the 2002, of course, midterms. Those three elections were amazing because they're almost unique in modern American history other than maybe like at the height of Vietnam and that they were elections about foreign policy where domestic policy really was not anything that was in anyone's top agenda. The economy was still kind of puttering along with its uh, housing bubble, the, the early housing bubble happening. And so it was actually, it was all about 9-11 and then Iraq. And so the war in Iraq was like, that was the sum total of one's righteousness in the political arena. It was the thing people cared about the most and got angry about, I remember. And they turned on a goddamn dime, and now all of them are like, yeah, fuck the war in Iraq. Fuck Bush. Uh, we shouldn't go to war anymore. This is, uh, we need to be isolationists. And you're like, how the hell did that happen? And it really is, as Greg Grandin puts it in his book, The End of the Myth, the failure of our big uh, retributive military strikes to actually satisfy the itch that they were meant to, to scratch culturally and politically meant that all that... Uh, meant that that made everybody at some level come to terms with the fact that, oh, the expansive project is over. The U.S. can no longer project itself. It, is, it, it cannot express social tensions through pushing outward by either taking territory or ex- uh, extending its influence into the world beyond its borders. Even that power has now left it. And with that gone, then there's nothing left but to retrench and turn inward and build a wall and pretend like you can, uh, you can triage the, up the remaining ch- shards, the remaining, uh, the remaining boxes of the, of the dwindling amount of cargo left that, you're, that our cargo cult economy worships. Gay marriage was was the one... It was amazing. It was gay marriage and the war in Iraq. Those are like the two biggest issues for a couple of elections there. Wild, wild stuff. Wild stuff. There was, yeah, it was all social issues because people saying abortion too, yeah. No, it was all social issues and the war in Iraq. That was it. There was basically no economic agenda for four, three straight elections.
man, what if Trump just does fuck with the mail enough that that uh, like there's tons and tons of ballots that don't get counted, and he wins a a prime a uh, he is able to claim a electoral vote victory, even though he loses by like six or seven million votes in the in the uh, popular vote, and it's only because. He, like he's able to get a court that are filled with his appointees to not acknowledge like some states with enough electoral votes for Biden to go over the top because he didn't have, because of the elect, uh, fraud and stuff and, and ballots not being collected. It would be amazing if he pulled that because I kind of see what would happen if it happened like that, where it like fo- it followed regular procedure, even if it was all being gamed along the way. I think it would be a real surreal sight. You would have an entire culture, an entire mainstream culture, to the extent that they still exist, united in horror and, and, and condemnation of this. And like, oh my God, this is, this is it. And this is the bright red line. This is what we were all terrified of. And a good 50% of the population feeling that same horror. Uh, the only people really happy about it, a, a, honestly, a dwindling... 30% maybe of the population, like these hardened little turds wedged into the small, large intestine of the different suburbs of this nation's uh, hell states. Everybody else just horrified by it, but everyone just like being horrified and saying, I can't believe this is happening. And then just days go by and it just, it happens because everybody is just so horrified and so in denial that they're just waiting for someone else to do something and then nobody does. Just paralysis, pure paralysis produced by our our hyper-awareness of being in a panopticon. That would be nuts. That would be wild. Because I'll tell you one thing, if that happened, I guarantee you this. The Democrats, they would not do anything like, uh, I mean, because I think that they have the power technically to just stop all business from being conducted. If they, if, they, if they didn't show up, they would not have a quorum, right? They could actually stop Congress from happening. Uh, and there's other things they could do, too. But they wouldn't do any of them. They would complain a lot, but they would show up for work, and they would show up for the inauguration to watch the swearing in they would just, it would be they would go along with anything but uh, I don't know I think a lot of that depends on the election being more of a disaster than I think it is going to be. Because we've seen elections carried out over the course of the pandemic. For the most part, they have been relatively smooth. I mean, obviously that isn't true in areas with minorities and low income. But that's always the case. Those things are always happening. They're just buried or underreported. But for the most part, they carried on in a way that the, like votes were being tallied and stuff. Uh... And turnout, which is something scares people because they think because of COVID and because Democrats believe in COVID, whereas Republicans all think it's a hoax, uh, they are going to not come and come out to vote. But 
the turnout of these uh, COVID elections has not been lower. Uh, in a lot number of cases, it's been higher. So that's another thing where you have what you kind of think is going to happen. But then we have this tre- counter trend, but there's no real way of knowing what it's going to look like that far in the future and how it's going to intersect with that, those trends. So once again, I have no idea. It's going to be nuts. I've never, this is never, this is new, this is all new territory. I mean, this is, they're fucking doing Zoom uh, uh, conventions, for Christ's sake. Like, this is, this is a 150-year tradition, gone. Oh, I actually think I forgot to put a bow on the thing about Iraq. I'll do that now. They chose Iraq in the in the matrix of their set belief system and decision tree that necessitated a military uh, a military expression that was concomitant with the need to establish a new military dominance in the 21st century and to placate the baying hounds of Americans who felt personally aggrieved because they'd lived in a candy-coated bubble their entire lives. And then the question of answering uh, the answer of why Iraq is because it's the perfect country to do that because it is oil rich, but not an ally like Saudi Arabia, because Saudi Arabia obviously is the place that was actually putting out all of that terrifying political Islam in, in, uh, in their madrasas that they were uh, funding all over the place. And of course, I don't know the fact that almost all of the hijackers were Saudi that they, the government at the time was aware of this, even if the public wasn't allowed to know, that the Saudi government officials were connected to funding and providing homes and uh, documents for the hijackers. But they're a stable ally. They're on our side. Like, why, you, wouldn't want, you don't want to smack around an ally because that gives a rad idea to the other allies that, that, you're, uh, you're, you're, that their uh, loyalty isn't going to buy anything. So you can't do them. Egypt is, of course, another place, hotbed of fundamentalist Islam, the fucking uh, Muslim Brotherhood and whatnot, but Egypt doesn't really have any oil. And also you've got that arrangement with uh, Israel with them. It's like a cornerstone of like the, like the, the post-79 detente thing that eventually now has led to Israel being stealth, uh, stealth allies with both Egypt and Saudi Arabia. Like they're essentially behind the door, behind closed doors, they are a unified like regional uh, 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 entente, and that's all. That all stemmed from the the first from the Camp David Accords. That's where that started. But that's not that. You don't want to knock that up. Why would you do that? Iraq, been on your bad list for a while. Ton of oil right next door to Iran, which is a real big bad with a big bullseye around it because they had the also in '79 had the impudence to uh, overthrow our Shah and then take our guys hostage and and have. And have, because they have oil and because they have a large population, are able to do things like exert regional influence. How dare you? How dare you exert regional influence in, in that region, even though it is the region you live in? No, we exert region, uh, uh, influence in that region. And so Iraq is the one. It's the place to put the pin. There's nowhere else that fits all the criterion. And in their minds, the most important part was that he, it was only going to be the first move. Iraq was going to be the lily pad, the first lily pad 
while the hop across the Middle East, taking all of the powers that were outside of the American influence sphere and bringing them in so that you've now got a, a full American hegemony, military partnerships, diplomatic partnerships with every government in the most oil-rich region of the world and in the, strate- in the strategic hub of uh, oil transportation infrastructure. Good luck, China. Good luck, Russia. We are setting the terms of the 21st century. But of course, it didn't turn out like that because you have the ruling class and any portion of it can only operate from what they assume to be their best interest. And that, those assumptions are not always accurate because of those darn lacuna. And those neocons had a shit ton of lacuna. Uh, and the, just the mere size of the American military gives people delusions as to its, its, its powers. Because it theoretically is the most powerful military in world history, but and it could win a it could win a conventional war with any country on earth, but that that is not that's a blunt little tool, as Hannibal Lecter said, that is not necessarily useful for intricate close quarter uh, work, you know, uh, fine fine muscle, fast twitch, uh, that kind of stuff, and boom. They ended up blowing the whole thing. But if it had gone the way they really had thought about it, it's sort of the way that Trotsky... I mean, these, a lot of these guys are Trotskyists. It's the same way that Trotsky and Lenin, he eventually convinced Lenin, went into the October Revolution on the unstated but crucial assumption that it would spark world revolution that would then alleviate the pressure and the impossible situation they would find themselves in, inheriting a medieval society in the midst of capitalist reaction. How are they supposed to operate from... How are they supposed... if that wasn't what they thought was going to happen, though. Same way the, uh, the neocons thought, this is the first step of a domino that brings the whole thing down. But the beauty part for them is that, and just like as, as the Soviets had to ad- adapt when that revolution didn't happen, when Iraq didn't go the way they wanted to, they had to adapt. And one of the ways was just keep fingering the pie, keep stirring the pie. If you can't have it, no one can. Keep your dirty fingers and everything. So... Uh, funding the rebels in Syria, uh, doing our weird like alliance and a, t- a war love-hate thing with ISIS where we stoke them intentionally and unintentionally and then suppress them to maintain uh, our position there in Iraq to countervail Iran. We're at least in the game, which we wouldn't have been if we didn't have guys there. And we didn't have, uh, even though you, know, you could say it was strategically a fuck-up because it brought Iraq closer to Iran's orbit, yeah, but we're still there. We got the green zone. Milo is a fed. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. I kind of assume all those guys are feds. Like all, all the, all the, all, when you consider the degree to which the alt right is infiltrated, uh, and in fact a product of, uh, like intelligence, it makes sense that all those guys are on some list. Because it's been amazing how many people have been found out in the highest ranks of like the real extreme Nazi shit uh, to have either been. Uh, actual like CIA operatives, like the guy, one of the guys who founded one of the like terror groups, 
the really scary one uh, was an actual CIA contractor. And then how many of them are guys who are in military intelli- in the military and intelligence who are also just vibing? The way that like uh, Hitler went to his first Nazi meeting on the payroll of uh, the German army as an informant to keep tracks on extremist politicians. Yeah, there's not going to be another shutdown. We're not shutting down. And I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily think we're going to have to because people are actually wearing masks now, it seems. And I think that that's going to prevent the worst case because those early spikes were when not only did people not have masks because of social pressure and, uh, and like enforcement of edicts and viral videos, you were suppo- not supposed to wear a mask. People yelled at you for wearing a mask because you were taking away precious mask, precious PPE from our nation's heroic first responders, which is one of the most monstrous fuck-ups of this entire thing, and I believe is Fauci's fault, which makes the worship of him by liberals all the more hilarious. All the guys that the liberals have been like, oh, at least there's still some people who know what they're doing uh, in response to this crisis, like Cuomo and Newsom and fucking Fauci, are all oafs who got thousands and thousands of people killed. And of course... They didn't just do that to be jerks. They did that because we didn't have enough fucking masks. Because what's this? Our fucking, uh, our chain, supply chains are completely attenuated. And if they can be undermined at any moment by anything like, I don't know, a world, vi- worldwide virus attacking the very place where all our shit gets made, including our PPE. Oh, no. And instead of dealing with that and saying, hey, uh, you know, watch out, stay inside. Uh, for, uh, masks are important. If you can get one, do it. If you can't, though, wait. We're going to try to get some fast. And, like, turn it into a, like, a we-can-do-it type thing. I'm not saying this would work with everyone. This is an insane country full of maniacs and idiots whose brains have been turned into absolute sludge by Facebook and uh, their television sets. And just pure pleasure. Just the monkeys pressing their pleasure centers until their brains just goo out of their ears. Uh, but it could have, my God, it could have helped. Instead, we just switched the thing and said, oh, no, actually, you need to wear a mask, and if you don't, you're killing people. Wow. Oh, wow, and now you're mad at all these fucking hicks for not believing you? Why the hell should they? Why shouldn't they think that you're fucking scamming people? And this whole thing is just an excuse to get rid of Trump because he's trying to bring the jobs back. Oh, someone says I got the Russian vaccine, which I believe is an old TB vaccine. Someone told me that um, there's a theory I, that was being studied. I don't know what the progress is that people who had received this heavy duty TB vaccine in the Soviet era that was common throughout the West Eastern Bloc countries had resistance to COVID. Uh, but I don't know if they ever what the what the findings were on that. So. If anyone's taken the t- uh, if anyone's taken the Russian vaccine, go out and cough on some, get coughed on and see what happens. Let me know. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I gotta say, as I have said, I don't care about the Epstein sperm. I will get a, I'll get a vaccine. And people are freaking out about, oh no, you're not going to have enough, uh, you're not going to have enough participation. And no, you're not going to have enough participation to actually to to bring down 
deaths and infections to the way that they should be in a rational country that has any kind of agreed-upon reality that we can operate off of. But I got to think that if you offered the vaccine, a lot of people would get it. And then the people who get it, who got it, would be willing to go outside again. And because even if they're in public with yokels who won't get the vaccine, they know they're not going to get it. Or at least they feel confident they're not going to get it, so they won't care. And so then you'd still be able to like get back to something called normal, even as the people who don't get the vaccine see themselves getting infected more and more. But over time, that's two ways that's going to be a smaller and smaller group. Some people are going to get the hint and get the vaccine, the same way that a lot of these yokels are now grudgingly wearing masks. Uh, and some people are just going to go, bye-bye, and you don't have to worry about it anymore. But once again, I have no idea. I'm not an I'm not a uh, epidemiologist. I've never fashioned a vaccine or even an anti or a serum even. People keep saying that that Russian guy that Michaela Peterson is with is a tanky because he likes Stalin. You guys, a lot of Russian people love Stalin, and it has nothing to do with epic uh, Soviet uh, memes. It has nothing to do with collectivized agriculture and, and going to the moon. It's, it's, or Sputnik. It's, it's fucking, it's nationalism. Stalin, when Stalin was around, Russia was big and, put, and kicked the shit out of other countries. Ask some of these Russian tankies what they think about, uh, about the Jews, and then we can, add, we can wonder... We can, we can break this down to whether he's a tanky. It's just that he's got an actual like, national historical context for Stalin, whereas she, as a Canadian, has the same sort of parlor room uh, like trading card removed from all historical figures who aren't directly related to their cultural uh, uh, mythology. I mean, maybe this guy's a tanky, but... He's, isn't he also an alleged like uh, sex trafficker? Do you really want him on your side just to own the Petersons? I think I would rather him be like just a, a, a good old-fashioned Russian uh, nationalist psycho. But that shows that the word tanky doesn't mean anything, which is fine. It's, it's a relic. Put it away. Let the, let the old words die. So just, just you, can, you, can no long, you don't have to use it. If you find yourself using it, ask yourself, is there a better word, more accurate word for what I'm trying to say? Or am I just going to perpetuate a fantasy when I say it? Sherman was a tanky indeed. You know, that's actually funny. Sherman, I mean, that's a nice, that's a good pun. Sherman was a tanky, Sherman tank. But I mean, if you want to like talk in the terms of, of applying that, that sort of conception of power to the, give the actual dynamic of the moment, Sherman's willingness to uh, push the rules of war sp- speaks to a, 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 consequentialist ethics that 
uh, that I think most most people who stuck with the Communist Party after the Hungarian uh, uprising was put down uh, would subscribe to. So sure. It would be so funny if Biden gets in and he actually starts prosecuting states for having weed legal and everyone has to, all the Democrats have to contort themselves into explaining why that's actually woke because, uh, actually, uh, you know, states' rights, that's some sus. That's some su- Confederate stuff. That's, that's, that, that's, oh, you know, states' rights is used for uh, racism, you know. Will the culture improve under Biden? I think there's, I think there's a there's a line of reasoning. I think that you could argue might lead to it. Uh, it would be, it would go like this: the moral hysteria of the Trump world, of the Trump of the Trump presidency, of the need for people to constantly be renouncing, mostly a a, a sense of white guilt, of being associated with Trump and his project has made culture much more self-conscious and try-hard than it otherwise would be because everyone feels like they have to participate in this project of self-abdication or ab- uh, of um, self-absolution from the association with Trump's white nationalist project as they understand it. And if Trump's not president and all the stuff that was horrifying them every day is now normalized because Tr- Biden's doing it, Maybe they'll feel less a need to try so fucking hard and they can relax a little bit and be less hysterical all the time. I don't know if that's going to happen because it assumes that, you know, things getting radically worse economically don't have their own knock-on effects that we can't predict, but it's, it's, it's our only hope, really. Cross our fingers. I saw someone, Fall Guys is this game I've seen people play where you're like a little hot dog running down a slight incline. Is it like a Donald Trump simulator? It doesn't seem like it should be that hard to go down an incline with a little hot dog man. Is it because the controls are really unintuitive on purpose? What is it? Because people are saying it's very, very hard, but I watch it and it's just a little guy running down a running down a, a little incline. So why is it so hard? That's a turn. Alright, well I might play it. Like I said, we're gonna do some streams from the office. We're gonna be doing Civ, hopefully. I want to do Europa Universalis because I want to try to see if I can get the Safavid Empire to take over all of Europe. Uh... Or I want to Charles V it and try to just do Habsburg hegemony the right way. Um, 
Or prevent the Reformation in England. I think that'd be fun. I would like to prevent that from happening. Uh, But also, I would like to do the goofy games. Like, I want to do Katamari Damacy or whatever it is where you roll up a big ball. That sounds fun. Uh, And then the little hot dog running down the the little Donald Trump simulator sounds fun, too. No, I would not do... I would not do a Martin Luther exploit... uh, escort mission. I would want to do Martin Luther Merck mission. I would want to see if I could just prevent the Reformation from happening anywhere. Someone actually makes a good point that if I played up my disability more, I would be able to be more problematic without people getting mad at me. But the cost of that would be that I would have to fake believing in that entire ableism framework for uh, for identity, which I don't, and it's just too much. It's it's a bridge too far for minimal gain. I do like whipping out the the card though sometimes just to own someone. I remember like two years ago we were getting yelled at by someone for being ableist, and someone said it would have kill you guys to have a disabled person on one time. And I just had to set fucking reply. I said, they have one on every fucking episode. It's me. And the fact that you can't know that, I don't know, man. It makes me think that, that maybe this concept that you're imagining exists is not quite as encompassing as you imagine it to be. If, it's, if that much of it, if that much of the public, like, of public politics and public presentation of self can be sublimated in someone that doesn't have to be, that doesn't have to be at the center, doesn't have to be at the center of their politics, doesn't have to be the only thing they care about, and it's very hard not to see people who fixate on something, especially when it's self-diagnosed. That's always very funny. Or I think there was one guy who was like a, uh, some sort of disability caucus chair something who had diabetes. Very funny. As someone who is way more disabled than any of these people and who's had his life actually shaped by it. Uh, just having like somebody who took a fucking test and decided that they need to like have a special uh, non-clapping zone is just amazing to me. Uh, but but the very sheer variety of the experience of being disabled is what makes the idea that it is a unified experience, that it is a that that there is any kind of inherent unifi- unity between people who all have, with disabilities is fantasy, and people only believe it so that they can get in, they can get further up in line in the progressive stack. It's a way to cut in line in the progressive stack so people will pay attention to them and take their bullshit seriously. And that always felt to me like cheating. And, and also that trying to keep up a pretense that I thought any of that shit, shit meant anything would, uh, would eventually have just destroyed my soul. So no thanks. So I shan't be talking about it. I, I, someone asked directly, so I thought I'd address it because I've seen some other people talking about it. But now, that's it. Not quite Krauthammer, thankfully, but but I'm definitely more disabled than, I'd say, nine out of the ten people I see carping about ableism online and starting every tweet with as a a disabled person or whatever the fuck. It's weird how they have this thing where they want disability to both be a category of 
of identifiable experience that is common among a group of people noted and that it's like a trauma and that it is something that impacts one's ability to function but if you suggest that it actually impacts their ability to function that that's being the equivalent of racist oh i'm sorry this disability disables you what how dare you no 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 no. you have to listen to me because i have it but how dare you say that it might limit my ability to do anything oh well never fucking mind that There's no, I'm sorry, but I don't think there's any disability platform that supersedes the need for a fucking social, uh, socialism and a socialist and a broad socialist movement. There's no specific ableist issue that necessitates sacrificing uh, uh, broad appeals to, uh, to reassure people within an imagined group that they're not going to be left behind or whatever the fuck. So yeah, if anybody ever wants to get mad at me about anything, refer to this chunk of, the, of my show. Somebody cut this out and say, why Matt can, uh, can do slurs? Why do I hate Steve Miller? Have you ever heard any of his music? <laughs> He's the worst lyricist in rock history. Uh, favorite Napoleonic general. Uh, I think I might have a different opinion about this as I listen to more and more, uh, more of Age of Napoleon, which I plugged before on here and I think is really one of the best history podcasts going. Uh, but I'm a big fan of, uh, of Ogero because he was, uh, he was a crude, horny street kid from Paris. He was the sans-culotte general. And he was just like a spit on the floor, uh, rootin' tootin' ombre. Uh, and I think that's charming. What do you mean ignoring? Someone says ignoring marginalized groups. That, like, how does how does something like Medicare for All ignore disabled people? It 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 brings them up in a huge way from where they were, massively, and and has the ultimate effect of helping literally everybody else in the country. 
My God. Who, who is being left behind there? The idea is that I don't feel personally engaged with and I don't feel personally soothed and told that I'm special. It, it, that's, it, people have confused that with, with like meaningful politics because it's all they have. It, they're doing all their politics in the friendship simulator. Yes, universal programs help marginalize people disproportionately. And that's good. That's one of the things that's great about them. But they have the, it's the beauty of it is it disproportionately helps the most marginalized without inherently creating a politics that requires uh, an a, a enthroning of virtue and sacrifice, which is counterproductive to organizing in America. All right, I'm gonna go soon. So I got about uh, I got one more, one more question from the from the whoever whoever can throw me a good one here. I will answer. Did losing hair, uh, that's funny, losing hair hurt my self-esteem? Not really. I guess I just didn't see it coming. I didn't realize I was balding until one day I was walking into a grocery store and there was a security camera above the door and I could see myself and there was like a white circle on the top and I was just like, what? Because I don't really look in the mirror that often. So it was more just shock. Since then I've been, uh, it's been, it's been, it's been a process of uh, of coming to terms, but it hasn't been that traumatic. I'm, I'm basically fine with it now. The one thing I will not do that I've uh, that I've debated in the past, but I've now decided no, is the coward's move. Is I'm not going to shave it. Not happening. Whatever this turns into, we're going to find out. Whatever if it, it I don't think it's going to turn into sides. I don't think I'm going to get the full Costanza. And if that did, I would probably have to consider maybe shaving because. I do not want the Costanza. But I think I'm going to keep enough of this in the middle to kind of just Nicholson. I think I'm going to Nicholson it. And I think Nicholson hairline to me is goals. And if I can stay around there, I'll be fine. Come on. Like in the 80s, like Shining Era, great.
I'm not going to use any of that hair replacement stuff either. There's no, uh, there would be no, it wouldn't be worth, it would literally not be worth it. Like, it would not increase my self-esteem enough to be worth the expense and time to do it. Yeah, just got done meditating before, uh, before the stream today. Very good, I highly recommend it. Ironic toupee is kind of funny. Like, a, like just a real rug. I will not grow Anton. I could not get Anton Chigurh hair even if I wanted to. Yeah, no, chickless. Chickless is not quite as good uh, an outcome as Nicholson would be, and chickless ended up shaving it, as we know. I hope they nominate. I hope George Clooney is the new senator from California. I hope someone at the DNC gets the idea that. The reason Trump won is because he's a damn celebrity and we need to get more of our guys in there and, and they make Clooney the fucking senator. That'd be fun. They're not going to make Ruffalo a senator. Why would they do that? It gets appointed by the governor, I think. Is, is California, is it appointed by a governor or do they have an, an immediate special election? It varies state to state. Oh man, Jerry Brown. Drag his 900-year-old ass out there. I guess it depends on how well the succession lineup, like the power structure is. In the, if Newsom has that party all settled away then I think he would pick somebody who would be there for a while. But if he picks Brown, then clearly that they need time to create for a, have a placeholder. I am Governor Jerry Brown. My aura smiles and never frowns. Soon I will be president. Carter Power will soon go away. I will be purer one day. California, Uberales. California, Uberales. Yeah, let's get Jello Biafra in there. Let's make a. Let's get a viral hashtag going to get uh, Jello Biafra appointed to Kamala's seat. Or Anthony Kiedis, I'd be fine with that. How about Dave Navarro and his signature issue is tattoo acceptance in the workplace? Jello like Warren, that's hilarious. That's so perfect. God damn, don't get old people. Don't let it happen to you. 
Yaldabaoth. Yaldabaoth 2025. Yaldabaoth 2020, 2024. 2020, 2020, 2024. It's the French Revolution. It's a podcast I was referring to, Age of Napoleon. It's more about Napoleon, but it spends a lot of time on the revolution itself. It spends a lot of time on everything. He's incredibly uh, detailed. You get... If you're not even interested in Napoleon, you get so much stuff about the era, like the power structure, the diplomatic structure of uh, Enchant Regime Europe, and the, you get a good like multi-episode uh, capsule history of the French Revolution, and then you get Napoleon all the way through his whole damn life. I did not see a, a press conference from Trump today. He did it again? Because yesterday he was in front of the cameras when that guy took a shot. Did that even happen, by the way? What, what, I never even found out what happened there. Did that actually happen? Did somebody take a shot at the White House? Because after I heard the story, it never turned into anything? Did it not happen? Do none of us know what's happening at all anymore? Does every event just like fall over the, come over the transom and they just fall over the waterfall never to be fucking connected to anything else again? And we have no idea whether it actually happened or not, but it still builds this tower of, of, of delusion in our minds. Is that what's happening? That's not good if it is. That's not a good sign. But no, I didn't know he had one a day. What did he talk about? What did the big wet boy say? Did he talk about... Uh, do you talk about how Biden is going to run God through with a Hattori Hanzo blade? Did, Kamala, did he really claim that, did, he, did Trump really try to go after Kamala Harris for supporting Medicare for All? Man, he really doesn't want to win, does he? Yeah, so the thing with Biden, the idea of Biden being like the radical leftist wasn't really sticking, apparently. He was having a hard time getting voters who weren't already on board with the whole Q delusion or mindset to accept that genial old Joe Biden was some sort of radical. So now he's going to try to be like, oh, no, it's going to be Harris as a radical. But I honestly don't think that, I mean, she's less well-known, I guess, so maybe he can have more luck at defining her in the media, but... I just don't know if anyone's paying enough attention to any of that shit. Who knows? Who will win? No one knows. Feed those hungry, hungry hippos. Bye-bye.